Every generation responds to crisis differently. One time, during a dinner out, my mom and my aunt got into a huge fight over the latter's spending habits. My mom, prone to dramatic displays, protested by leaving the restaurant and lying down in the middle of traffic. Everyone immediately rushed outside. My dad was convincing her to get off the road. I was redirecting cars, and my two uncles were trying to calm the gathering crowd behind us. After my aunt apologized and my mom agreed to get up, we suddenly realized that my younger brother, 20, was missing. Fifteen minutes later, we finally found him crouching behind a large garbage bin. When asked why he was hiding, he said, I don't want to end up on YouTube. That was That's, Family Feud by Ed uh, Hill. I There's a lot to unpack in that I have one. to say, <laughs> the quality of story that Frank delivers in this episode of Everybody Loves Raymond is actually like right on par with that. <laughs> it's very consistent, yeah, it's God. It's like very, like, okay, yeah. makes sense as to why they, uh, they accepted but, what he turned in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's just... I feel like they gloss over <laughs> the mom and the stopping traffic to focus in on this young whippersnapper and his uh, his stupid YouTube obsession. I, yeah, I don't know, man. This is from readersdigest.ca, so Readers Digest Canada. Six outrageous... California. <laughs> readersdigest.california. Six outrageous family stories that are guaranteed to make you laugh out loud. Boo. I, mean, I want I my know. money back. I was I don't I was engaged. I'll say that. I don't know <laughs> if I'm laughing, but I there yeah, I was engaged in that one. Yeah. But would you say that was more because of my engaging reading of it? I think the idea of a woman willingly putting her life on the line <laughs> to prove to her sister that her sister is spending too much money is just an innately like interesting group of cat group of people like yeah my mom and my aunt got into a huge fight over the latter's spending habits my mom prone to dramatic displays protested by leaving the restaurant and lying down in the middle of the traffic protested, protested. what <laughs> protested <laughs> that's what i that's what's not explained in this anecdote sorry ed hill but uh what what is the inciting incident here your mom, her, I think his mom just decided to go on strike in protest of the hundred dollar uh, mall visit that uh, that the aunt did the previous day. I that has to like, do they share a bank account? Like, what is the? Why does she care? Uh, you know, I have a. Uh, there's just a lot of this is Barone level dysfunction. <laughs> there's right. there's a lot to unpack, and I'm gonna say the kid hiding is the least interesting part. What do you think I, of the punchline? I think one thing's for sure, and we'll get back to the punchline in a second. Ed Hills is uh, now officially on the shockingly large list of enemies of Everybody Loves Everybody Loves Raymond. You call him an enemy. I want him on the podcast so I can interview him about his family dynamic. I, I'm not saying... He's our enemy. I'm saying we are now his enemy. Oh yeah, no, we we pissed him off. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to. Um, I it's a soft disavowal until he can come on the show and explain himself. <laughs> 
Ed Hills, this is your invitation do to we, uh, join us on ELELR. Do we need to disavow people that are just kind of, you know, not the best <laughs> writers? <laughs> like, so far, we, yeah, I don't know. Cheating on, so I think the last person we soft disavowed was Leo, who sexually harassed a waitress. <laughs> no, that was Bernie. That was, that was Bernie. Bernie, I'm sorry. Don't besmirch Leo's, Leo's memory like that. That's right, rest in peace, Leo, I'm sorry. He's with Gus now. Anyway, that's the kind of thing that you can expect from the digest. Um and that is Good the focus yeah. of this episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. Welcome, by the way, welcome back to Everybody Loves Everybody Loves Raymond. This is the only active, the only um Good. Good. <laughs> the only Highly confrontational, Everybody Loves Raymond podcast on the market today. And the only one with a cum counter. (laughs) (laughs) The only one with a cum counter. That's 100% true. Thank you for joining us. That's Michael Dormer, and the man who said cum counter is Alex Shear. (laughs) Yeah, hi, sorry. My name is Adam Rudy. And we are going to be talking about season one, episode six of Everybody Loves Raymond today. Frank the writer, but first, Alex, I believe we have the very first second installment of one of our segments. We do. Which one is that? Which one are we doing first? I believe we were doing Judge Deborah. We're doing Judge Deborah. That makes sense. I believe we put out a call to our friends and um, hopefully, in Mike's case, lovers at r slash everybody loves Raymond. That's right. I have it pulled up right here. Hot so, takes about the show. Yeah, if you are a uh, if you are a peruser of the Everybody Loves Raymond subreddit and have found your way to uh, this podcast, first of all, welcome. I I am imagining you saw my posts there where I talked about the uh, podcast and shouted out to Planet Hoth who gave us our first hot take. And asked for more, and we got a pretty big chunk of responses. Yeah, and, thank you so uh, much for the responses, everybody. Yes, and we promise you, uh, every comment has been uh, read and thought about and all that stuff. However, I believe we came to the consensus that uh, in order, for the sake of fairness, mm-hmm. we are going to be uh, selecting one comment randomly to talk about on our segment today, Judge Deborah. Which Adam will explain more about because I don't know how to explain it. Well, here's the elevator pitch or the uh, elevator to the courtroom pitch or the the stairs to the courtroom. I think I'm focusing more on the analogy that I'm trying to make (laughs) from elevator pitch uh, to courtroom than explaining. So I'm sure you know Judge Judy. I'm sure you know Judge Steve Harvey. I'm sure you know Judge Joe Brown. This is Judge Debra. Every week on Judge Debra, the weeks that we do it, we uh, solicit hot takes about Everybody Loves Raymond from our listeners or people who don't listen to us but saw our solicitation. And we 
uh, Alex as the prosecution or defense and Mike as the opposite of whichever one Alex is, debate one side of that hot take, trying to prove or disprove what the other one is saying. It is your standard arguing in a fake courtroom program. Woo! I, because I have the soundboard and this gavel sound effect, I get to be Judge Deborah. So, Alex, without further ado, let's go ahead and, um, so we have, I think, 11, right? So let's put 1 through 11 on this uh, random number generator from our friends at random.org. All right, you you tell me the number. I will uh, go to the appropriate uh, comments. Right. Yep, that's what I was I was assuming you would do. Um, the number is seven. Seven. I hope I counted right. From Mirror Mask, six days ago at the time of this recording, Frank is the worst character. Sorry. He's very one note and he just wants to kill his wife. And in parentheses, <laughs> who is incredible? First of all, how dare you? <laughs> so, I stand for Frank. The issue on the table today, if that's what they say in a courtroom, is Frank is terrible. Arguing for to create some dramatic tension. It's Mike. Is Alex. No. Oh, Alex. No. Oh, you're making him go against his morals. I like will Frank. Be arguing that Frank is the worst character, that Frank wants to kill his wife. And that his wife, by extension, by saying Frank is justified in wanting to kill his wife. No, wait, hold on, I'm getting confused. I don't know if I want to even argue that. Frank, so it's it's Frank sucks. Frank sucks. That's the main premise that you're. That's arguing. the main premise. Uh, Frank sucks. He's one note, and that one note is he wants to murder Marie. That's it. Okay, I'm. I got it now. By extension, then, by arguing that Frank sucks, you are also arguing that Marie is incredible. Yes. Okay. Okay, well, that part's easy. Alex, that's your assignment, Mike. Yeah. I may have meant to say Mike. Uh, you're going to be arguing uh, against Frank being terrible. There, therefore, you will be arguing that Frank is great. Okay. But by extension, you are also negating the premise that Marie is incredible. <laughs> and so you will be arguing that Marie is terrible gotcha. and that Frank is justified in wanting to... To kill her. What if I disagree with the premise that he wants to murder Murray? This is what it's like being a defense attorney. And this is what <laughs> you're going to have to learn if you want to be in my courtroom. Is that I just have to argue what you... Okay. Yeah. So to uh, speed this segment up a little bit, last time I gave you no time limits. And uh, you both talked for a very long time. So you're gonna, we're still going to follow the same format of opening arguments cross-examination of each other, and closing statements. The difference is you will have 30 seconds each to make your opening statements. Okay. You will have one question for the other person, and you will have 30 seconds to make your closing statement. Okay. Okay, okay we can do this. Do you understand the terms of my court? I yes, but I'm do. not happy about it. <laughs> well... Fuck you. <laughs> First, we will hear from the prosecution, Alex. 
Begin. All right, humans and giraffes of the of the jury, I am here to present to you the proof that Frank is the undeniable worst character in the show, Everybody Loves Raymond, and that his constant apathy, bickering, complaining, and demanding of his wife, Marie, is slowly killing her throughout this series. His inaction to care for his wife and his action to love her is what will end her life. Okay. Um, looking at the faces of the jury right now, and they are noticeably disturbed by your obvious lack of passion. Um, <laughs> but that's, uh, I'm supposed to be impartial. So I'm going to uh-huh. pass it on over to the defense for their opening statement. Michael, begin. Judge Deborah and distinguished members of the jury, today we are here watching an attack on the character of an American hero. Frank Barone, the war veteran, the Korean War veteran, who has done nothing but give to his family and everyone around him, is being his name is being besmirched as the worst character in Everybody Loves Raymond, when in fact everybody knows he is the best character and everyone loves Raymond, Time. even though his wife sucks. Uh, even though his wife, period. Even though his wife. No one heard that last I went over a little bit. Yeah, damn it. All right. Alex, you get one question for Mike, and Mike, you get 10 seconds to respond. Jesus. All right. right. And go. Mr. Shormer, if that is your real name. It isn't. I would like to ask you the following question. Here it is. uh, About to come out of my mouth. Here it is. The question. The question is, I want to hear if you can provide me with one example from Everybody Loves Raymond, the show, either an ep- from an episode we've already talked about on the podcast or have not yet, that proves and demonstrates that Frank is a compassionate and caring individual whose attempt to who, whose attempts to help his family have benefited them as a whole. Can you name one example? I can. Uh can, the first episode, we see him being a fantastic grandfather and giving his grandchildren memories and support that will last them a lifetime. Can you name two? <laughs> Excellent question. I think we're going to have to start maybe timing the length of the questions as well. <laughs> what do you Alex, mean? That was a very reasonable length of a question. It did seem, and I'm not... As soon as I thought of it, at least. Yeah, Exactly. The jury can sort of tell that you're unprepared a little bit. Half of your shirt (laughs) is untucked, and you clearly just came from McDonald's breakfast. You're holding a loose hash brown uh, where you should be holding, you know, (laughs) where you should be holding, you know, a a juror's handkerchief to wipe the sweat from your brow. Um, And that is the type of juror that I, not juror, uh, lawyer that I see you as is sort of that... um, Scopes monkey trial guy. I'll have you know, last week, I, two weeks ago, I won the biggest case this court has ever seen. That is true. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's time for your uh, cross-examination of defense. Mike, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to ask Alex a question. Yeah, no problem. Starting now. Uh, ex- excuse me, uh, Mr. Shear. I just would like to know, you accuse my, my client of attempting murder. Can you name a time when he has tried to kill his wife? Not directly. However, his constant demands of his wife 
have been bad for her health and could lead to Time. problems down the road. Nope. Could lead to. Could lead to, period. <laughs> All right. I like suspense. Closing arguments. We're going to hear first from the pro- Alex, which who is the pros- prosecution. Prosecution in yeah. this okay. case, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll allow it. And uh, 30 seconds for closing arguments start now. As someone who believes in two words of the 15-word sentence I have been asked to prosecute for, I would (laughs) like to wholeheartedly share that I believe that Frank is a one-note and miserable character who, while antics are enjoyable and funny for the viewer, is toxic to the people around him and is an active danger to his family, especially his wife, whose name is in fact Marie. And I will now rest my case. I you was waiting for you to give me so like that. so close to coming in on time, and then you added that little extra slice. Ah, dang it. Um, all right, excellent work. Um, I'm sorry, I should be impartial. All right, that was work. Uh, Mike, <laughs> closing argument, 30 seconds, go. This... This man would have you believe that the admittedly amazing grandfather is trying to murder his wife when instead it is Marie, the uh, the boundary careless individual that is feeding his, her husband nothing but raw sugar, high calories, <laughs> trying to murder the man hold on, that hold is on. standing up. She made him a sandwich <laughs> in like the second episode. Yeah, with, it was loaded with carbs and She's high cholesterol. She's feeding him nothing but raw sugar? You mean the little Mike, brown packets Mike, from Yeah, Starbucks? yeah, exactly. Mike, you she had is dowsing. <laughs> she is dowsing everything Mike, in you, unhealthy you, food. You had- she sucks. I'm trying to argue the last point, which is that I have to prove Marie sucks and Frank rules. Mike, you had this in the bag and then you took a scissor to the bag. So you're saying that she throws, like like at the zoo when they throw a cut of meat to a lion, she just throws him a packet of raw sugar? A hundred percent. I'm gonna stab Raw that. cane turbinado sugar. She might as well be, given, <laughs> given the unhealthy foods that are put in front of him. Objection, lack of evidence. Uh, sustained. What the hell? Are you... uh, we Mr. can do objections? Mr. Dormer, I am holding you in contempt of this court. <laughs> Yay! You, I think I, I'm getting nods from the jury. I have the authority to disbar you right here and now, so you are disbarred until Obje- further notice. Objection? Uh, you'll win one of these one day, Mike. <laughs> As usual, Mike, my verdict is final unless by the end of the podcast you can prove to me that you are worthy of staying here. This by is some... a kangaroo court. This is absurd. I would like to appeal. By some metric yet to be decided, if over the course of the show you prove to me that you <laughs> are not a scumbag, as evidenced by your testimony here today, you may remain on the program. Otherwise, I'm sorry, but I will have to have my bailiff forcibly remove you. So what are you what so what is the final ruling other than I suck as a as a lawyer? I think it would te- if I were to actually be a judge and disbar you in the courtroom, I think that would fall under a mistrial. But in this case, for the sake of argument, I will be Oh, fuck, I have to agree with Alex. 
I guess this is what it's like being a <laughs> what? A, well, because you you don't count anymore. I can't that's, that's simultaneously disbar you and you know find in your favor. Yes, you can because this is not a real courtroom. This <laughs> is a podcast. <laughs> that's a good point. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right, fine. You are disbarred pending appeal, but also okay, Frank is not the worst character. He uh, has his moments. He's a great grandfather. Um, and I think even in this episode, we see evidence of him being a great father as well. So I find both in favor and in complete disgust <laughs> of Michael Dormer. Right. Hey, good job, All right. Mike. All right. <laughs> uh, wait. Uh, so first of all, uh, Mirror Mask, uh, I, I mean, like you heard it here. Mike could not have fucked that up more, and you still lost, so I'm sorry. I wish I could have done a better job. I fell at the finish line, okay? I didn't fuck <laughs> up the whole thing. Just the 30-second just closing but, argument. But we appreciate your comment, and uh, it brought great fun for the three of us mm -hmm. for this segment. And if you would like to hear a hot take that you have about Everybody Loves Raymond Argued, by two fools and adjudicated by a uh, biased judge, <laughs> then please, uh, you could email us or uh, just look for one of our postings. We post all the time in various Everybody Loves Raymond groups online. We also, and this is exciting to announce, although it is with a heavy heart that I announce that we have joined Facebook and Instagram. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram. Uh <laughs> By going to those respective websites slash Barone Zone. Our username on both of those platforms is Barone Zone. Or oh. search the name of the podcast. You can reach out to us there. I say with a heavy heart because I would have preferred if people would just, you know, send in emails to Raymond at postfund.info. No and then... one's going to do that. Yeah, we've been informed that that is not indeed how kids today interact with their. I don't send emails. I, I send Unless emails. I have to. I send emails to, like, my coworkers. Yeah. I don't send emails to, well, like... Well, no, I'm assuming people would send in these hot takes about Everybody Loves Raymond from their work email. <laughs> <laughs> on company time. On co of course, on company time specifically. Uh, uh, I would further like to uh, just... just Put it out there in just a straight sentence that I in no way agree with the notion that Frank wants to murder his wife. There, there really is not a lot of evidence. And we actually see in later seasons that like there are a few very, very tender moments between Frank and Marie. Not a ton, yeah. but some. Um, and uh, I think that like even though they're verbally kind of shitty to each other the majority of the time, I think there is a, a uh, an element of love there that I don't think. I don't think it's an active murder waiting to happen. Yeah, that's my goats. That's the line. I wouldn't say they have a healthy relationship, um, yeah. but they do love each other, and it's not violent. And I think that's <laughs> what we can say about Marie and Frank at this point. Yeah, Alex, we know that you are famously a, a big, big fan of Frank, and I think this must have been an exciting episode for you because this is a Frank vehicle. If ever I've seen one. It's Very the first Frank-centric episode of the show. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that episode is season one, episode six. It is called Frank the Writer. And we're we we gonna will talk be, about it. Yeah, we will be breaking it down scene oh by God. scene, 
right after this break. Oh my god. Deborah. I have to make a bit of a public apology on behalf of the uh, hosts of Everybody Loves, Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, you may have noticed last week that our podcast feed was hijacked by um, what I can only describe as uh, Blood Diamond apologists, and this doesn't represent our views, and uh, obviously we disavow this, but it is our fault. You see, I was using a weak obvious, easy-to-remember password, and let's just say it rhymes with ass-word, um, to lock up our hosting platform. And frankly, anyone could have walked in. So it's on me. What I should have done is used one password. One password is the world's, the whole world's, most loved password manager. It is the easiest way to store and use strong passwords. You can log into sites and fill forms securely with a single click. That's one click. Can you imagine? You know how many clicks you do every day? Just, just one to log into sites and fill forms securely. Not only can you do this as an individual, but you can use it to help keep your family safe online with their family plans. And if you're a business, you can become one of the more than 100,000 businesses that trust 1Password to secure their business and protect their data. So don't make the mistake I did. Check out 1Password and support this show in the process because we really do need it. Those Blood Diamond guys also got into the bank accounts uh, and we didn't have much, but we had enough for more blood diamonds. So <laughs> uh, go to postfund.info slash ads. Check out 1Password today and tell them that Raymond sent you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a huge basketball episode today <laughs> with our first ever real in-person guest star on Everybody Lives Raymond, the one, the only, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a legendary Lakers player, regularly ranked in the top three players of all time. Ruled the NBA through the 70s and the 80s, originally starting out with the Bucks, winning one championship with them, finishing up with five championships for the Lakers, uh, retired at the time of this recording, but is still to this day, like I said, considered to be one of the all-time greats in the history of basketball. Coming in to surprise Debra, Debra clearly not really given that much of a shit, but it was it was <laughs> it was great to see the champion bring out his acting chops. Anyway, that was my takeaway from the first scene. What about you guys? Uh, yeah, you came in pretty hot there, Mike. Yeah, I know you're I'm excited. Really excited. Yeah, I'm so really excited. This is our oh, first. Basketball. What's the episode called? Oh yeah, that's what? right. This is What's season happening? one, episode six. Frank the writer. Obviously, yeah. hey. from that title, you're gonna expect it's a huge basketball episode. Um, and it's not that they filmed this cold open on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's schedule and then just plugged it into a random episode. No, that's definitely not what happened here. 
I was really kind of hoping when they introduced him that they would pull a Keith Hernandez in Seinfeld and just have Kareem as like a <laughs> sub character like, throughout like, the rest of the show. Like he gets hired as a nanny for the kids and he's just kind of in the background doing his own thing. You don't know how much I would love that, how much I would pay for Kareem the nanny. There is Sitcom. Um, <laughs> um, I think that's actually an adult film. Kareem the nanny? Yeah. Get it? <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. Hey. We did it. It's anyway, like the verb instead of the name. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the, the cold open for Frank the writer is Ray comes in, and there's really no explanation as to why this is happening. Uh, Ray comes into the house uh, late at night uh, with basketball superstar Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And uh, Kareem says something offhand about, I could have just signed the book uh, at the store. So we can glean that there was a book signing uh, where... I actually, I know a bit about Kareem's career. He yeah. was a center. But um, I don't know if he was actually an author. I oh, mean, like... You don't know then. See, this is where what I know about him is that he is like a, a genius, like uh, polymath, guy like he has a phd i think and he's like written comic books and stuff and really yeah cool. he, i actually he does, did like, not a know lot that of at crazy all stuff um he's yeah like a genius um but uh yeah from so we can assume that he wrote a book at some point in 1996 or something and yeah. so was ray involved in the signing or did ray just approach him at the store and say hey i'm ray barone i'm sports writer do you want to come back to my house and say hi to my wife? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the implication that he did that, and Kareem was just like, yeah, all right. Sure. Okay. Yeah, cool. Um, also, another thing I know about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and we'll keep going through the cold open in a second, but he was on a run of sitcom guest star uh, appearances at this time. Uh, I don't even need to look it up to know that he was on an episode of Full House where he Ooh. teaches Jesse how to shoot a free throw. I remember that episode. Really? Yes. Oh, okay. That, that was actually a very funny, uh, very very funny like montage segment. If yeah, I recall yeah, yeah. correctly, he was. Do uh, you think? Yeah. He shot them all in like the same day <laughs> of just like, all right, full house, bring it in. He's only got he's only got a couple minutes left. Oh, you saying they brought the sets to him? Yeah, I mean, he, he's <laughs> Kareem Abdul Jabbar. What are you house. talking about? I believe it. I believe it. Um, but the or, whole or just Kareem Kareem Abdul Jabbar lives in a house that was later modeled to be the Everybody Loves Raymond <laughs> set, and they just shot at his house. He for just this one has scene. a different room in his house, one modeled after Raymond, one modeled after Full House, presumably King of Queens. He just oh went God. all of them. Yeah. Honestly, I would not be surprised uh, if he appeared on King of Queens, but I'm not going to look I, it up because that's not what this cold open is. This cold open has no appearances from Doug Heffernan. Uh, no. Instead, so uh, yeah, Ray brings Kareem back to the house somehow and says, I want you to meet my wife. She's a huge basketball fan. Uh, and then they go into the living room and Deborah is sleeping on the couch. And Ray, he says something like, uh, what does he say? Who's your favorite basketball well, player? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He tries to wake her up, but she's very tired, and, and he sort of tries to pique her interest by saying, who's your favorite basketball player? And does she say Michael Jordan first? She, was, yes. she responds Michael Jordan. Okay, now yeah. tell us about Michael Jordan, Mike. Oh, shit, seriously? 
Okay, uh, Michael Jordan is regarded, widely regarded as, if Kareem's one of the best, Michael Jordan's probably the best. He played for the Chicago Bulls and won six straight uh, titles. Well, he won three straight, took a break to play baseball, which he sucked at, and then came back and won another three straight uh, championships with the Chicago Bulls. One of, like I said, the single greatest basketball player of all time, probably. Played in the 90s, I guess was still playing at the time of this show. Uh, and, and yeah. And he was in a very important movie. Oh yeah, he was in Space Jam. He was he yes. was the star of Space Jam. This is where my knowledge of Michael Jordan comes in. <laughs> and, and that's it. My knowledge of Michael Jordan is that he was in a Haynes commercial where he had a Hitler mustache and nobody said anything about it because, like you said, he is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, basketball player of all time. I also do know that, fun fact, he's a huge gambler. He never bet on any of his games, but there were incidents where, like... In a playoff series, he would go down to Jersey City and bet a lot of money. And to date, he it is known that if you are going to play a round of golf with Michael Jordan, be ready to bet and lose six figures or more, oh or he God. will get bored halfway through. Yeah, Jersey City? Not Atlantic yeah, City? That's what I meant. I definitely <laughs> meant Atlantic City. My apologies, yeah. He took the path train to Jersey City. <laughs> and kept going to Atlantic City. Um. Yes. Uh, so he's, Ray tries to pique her interest by saying, who's your favorite basketball player? She says, Michael Jordan. Ha, 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 from the studio audience. Uh, then he says, uh, what does he say? Then he says, um, retired uh, Retired, player. right. And then she responds, Larry Bird. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> so Larry Bird. Larry Bird is another incredible, incredible basketball player of all time. If my memory serves me right, I think he was also on the Dream Team, also with Michael Jordan, by the way, in the uh, in the Olympics, where, you know, we know that we, we all know about that, the 96 Dream Team. Uh, he played for the Celtics, most famously, won a lot of championships, and... His records are still holding to this very day. I don't know. Didn't didn't do as much research into Larry Bird because it was a one-name throw-off. Yeah. The 96 Dream Team? Was it 98 Dream Team? Oh. <laughs> uh, Jesus, I forget. I think it was France. The, the 96 Olympics. Okay. okay. <laughs> you think it was France? I'm pretty sure it was the, the Olympics took place in Paris. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Deborah says Larry Bird, and then Ray asks another clarifying question. What does he ask? He says, no, 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 the Lakers. Oh, and then Deborah says, Wilt Chamberlain. And this is the one I don't know as much about. I know he played for the Lakers. I know he's an all-time great basketball player. What did, I tell, you? A what did I tell you before, he start well, before we started? What did I tell you about him? I know you told me that you know something about Will Chamberlain. Yeah, what did I tell you? <laughs> you, did, you didn't tell me what you knew. You just no, said, I, I know it. I definitely said it. He likes to fuck. Oh, he likes to fuck. That's right. You did tell you that. He's also, uh, there was a character in Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends named after him. Wilts, that's right. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, he likes He does to, like um, to fuck? Yeah, he liked to fuck. Um, so he this is the, the he, Deborah says Will Chamberlain, and this is the big... Uh, rule of threes laugh line for this scene and then Kareem um, storms out because he's like fuck this and uh, who wouldn't you know if yeah, some no, guy you know. approaches you at your book signing and says you are my wife's favorite basketball player and then you go 0 for 3 and getting her to name him as one it, of his fa her favorite basketball players fuck off 
Especially when you go through the specificity of retired Lakers players. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I also think this is the first mention of Deborah liking basketball at all. We get it. We do get a little bit more in depth into her character. Yeah. We get like one fact about Deborah per episode. I feel (laughs) like we learned she used to be in PR and then we didn't learn anything about her in standard deviation, really. And then now so we know she's she likes probably basketball. smarter than Ray. That's about it. Yeah, I would be very surprised, as Robert said, if Ray. And was now we know she likes basketball, which also yeah. might give us a little bit of insight into how she or why she and Ray started getting oh, together. Yeah. She, she might have been interested in his sports column. Yeah, or so we really know could have met at a game, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, didn't they work for the same place? She did PR, he did writing. If I remember I think correctly. that was just a theory we talked about on the show. Oh, okay. I think we'll find out. I do I think, think we'll there find is a flashback episode about how they met. But okay, I, don't remember. I can't wait for it. Don't tell us, listener. Did this happen to you guys? Uh, we're back at the playset opening. Yeah, what the yeah. fuck? I wanted to bring that up. This is something I remembered mm-hmm. about uh, about everybody loves Raymond. They jumble the intro around a lot. Like the, the carousel intro starts to like sneak its way back in but we do come back here now and again uh every once in a while uh to the playset opening and then we get eventually i think around season three we start very frequently getting like the the weird classical music oh yeah uh, opening with the zoom yeah the zoom and the yeah i think starting around then is when that starts uh happening basically every episode at some point there's the um a little more conversation uh, oh, I remember that too. Remember yeah, that one. I think that's really late. I think that's like season nine. I don't even or remember that one. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess we're back at the playset opening. I I'm not happy about it. I I still like it more than the carousel one. I don't. Why are you calling it a? It's it's a conveyor belt. Yeah. I just forgot the word <laughs> or a treadmill. It'd be funny though if they <laughs> went around they... him. <laughs> I think I would like it. Of him I would like it more. It'd be some kind of satanic ritual. Yeah, it's very like um, black box theater to have somebody cross in front of somebody else while they're delivering a monologue. Doesn't mm-hmm. that sound like very high concept for it this CBS indeed. sitcom from 1996? I agree. Anyway, uh, we come out of the place at opening. For me, I got this fucking. Are you guys getting these Capital One business? Ads with Antonelli's cheese shop, or is that geo targeted to me? I think that might be geo targeted yeah, to you. I forget what I forget what ad I got, but I don't remember that one. This is a good segment. What ads did you get while you were watching this <laughs> on Peacock? Uh, I'll I guess I'll keep uh pay attention more. I know I got a Stranger Things season four really? ad. Oh, I heard that's, that's supposed to be amazing. Well, it comes out on Friday by the time that we're recording this. So I'm very excited. For but it. on Netflix. Yeah. So it's weird that they're dropping it on Peacock. That's aggressive. Yeah. That's really yeah. aggressive. Uh, I, okay. For next next time, I'm going to keep track of some of the commercials, see if yeah. I see anything interesting. So there's a that's a reason to keep coming back to this show. <laughs> <laughs> You know your least favorite part about watching anything? Uh, we'll talk about it. In yeah. detail. At the very least, uh, corporations will find it useful. And we'll talk about the advertising strategies behind each of them. So anyway, we come out of the playset opening uh, to Marie and Frank's kitchen. 
where uh, Ray is apparently having his pre-dinner meal, which, fuck off, man. This is, yeah. what a cruel thing to do. I, th- I thought it was kind of funny. I, think I mean, it's the, a funny premise, but. Yeah. I think this is the first <laughs> instance of Raymond being kind of open about how he doesn't like Deborah's cooking. Yeah. Isn't sure. that, so here's the thing. I couldn't, did he say Deborah's cooking sucks or is it just he's over and Marie drops a lamb chop in front of him and he just can't resist? That might be it too. We yeah. know Marie didn't give him a choice. Yeah. Yeah. He was, she was. That he does ask for mint jelly eventually, but that's after he gets the taste of lamb in his mouth. <laughs> what a sentence, Mike. Well, what? It's what happens. Um. Yeah, and then he says, well, he's, as he's leaving, he says, I have to go pretend to be hungry. So, I mean, Give we me know he's lying shot. to Deborah about it. I don't know if the, the motivation is explicit yet, but yeah, it's kind of a shitty thing to do. Uh, Deborah is mm-hmm. working on a, a meal for you, and you... Go and eat a meal at your mom's house? That would house? be a hilarious uh, continuity thing where, you know, a lot of uh, spouses find uh, things that their uh, significant other is hidden, like, you know, like maybe like sex toys or pornography, but Deborah finds <laughs> a completely eaten pork bone <laughs> and is like, oh my God, that son of a bitch. Well, yeah, I-, I was just thinking, why would Ray not just, if he you know, once whatever Marie's cooking, why not just take a plate back to the house to have later? But I guess he's, you know, guilty about it and doesn't want Deborah to know that he is eating his mom's lamb chops. I feel like it wouldn't go over well. No. I, like if, because we, we discussed this already, uh, kind of touched on it, but like Deborah's working away in the kitchen Making making meals for for Ray and uh, the kids. He comes back with a full on lamb. I think she's gonna be a little offended. You know what I mean? Just like yeah, I don't know. That's 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 my thinking. Yeah. I would be if if I was cooking and the people I was was cooking for came back with their own meal. I would be a little upset. <laughs> I think fair. No, no. I'm you know for later. I wouldn't be mad if I had cooked something and then. Uh, you know, my spouse came home and said, uh, oh, my mom gave me this for later. Mm. I would be like, all right, whatever. You can have it for lunch tomorrow or whatever you want. Um, but we're going to eat, you know, my lasagna, lasagna uh, and salad from a bag uh, for dinner tonight. No end to that thought. No, There's, <laughs> just, I'm done. Just, there is I'm out. A, you're, you're right. There is a reasonable world. We're there is a reasonable too much. world, yeah. <laughs> We're talking a little way too much about the lamb chop dynamics but, but, of this oh relationship. God, this, yep. shows, this shows Ray's kind of uh, guilt over this. It mm-hmm. shows that he feels that this is wrong. He. Sh- it also shows that Marie probably wouldn't respond well to Raymond saying, oh, yeah, pack it up for me to go. I'll eat it for lunch tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. She will probably like say absolutely not right away and make him eat it. Yeah, like how much of her, uh, you know, showing love through food, how much of that is seeing the people enjoy it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's but anyway, we point. also yeah. get the introduction of the primary conflict. Yes. Or the primary interest the of the story. Episode. 
Yeah, where uh, where Frank starts telling Ray about all this great money he could be making if he wrote on the side for Reader's Digest. Yes, here we go. The Simon's son sold a joke to Reader's Digest for fifty dollars, and Frank wants Ray to do the same on the side. Uh, fun Ray's- facts about the Reader's Digest: uh, strong, strong anti-communist magazine. <laughs> um, and as you heard from our uh, our very own cold open, uh, good stuff in there. Good stuff. Oh, incredible. <laughs> the best stuff. SNL scouts directly from Reader's <laughs> Digest. Um, also guest articles uh, in the 70s by Richard Nixon, or sorry, the 60s by Richard Nixon. Fun fact, look that up. If you have the time, uh, you will be disturbed. Anyway, Frank is trying to sell Ray on... Uh, writing for Reader's Digest, and then Ray suggests, and Marie co-signs the idea that Frank should do it, and uh, sort of the look of realization dawns over Frank, and um, the scene closes with him just remembering funny stuff from the Reader's Digest silently and then laughing at it, which I thought was very (laughs) charming. It it is an aggressive laugh in that scene. Yeah, it's almost like an evil chuckle. Absolutely, and it also shows me that, like, I think Ray encapsulates, and I can't speak to the entire truth of this because I am a young person still, Hmm. but I I found that in kind of my interactions with uh, older family members uh, who come to me with similar ideas where it's like, hey, maybe you do this or maybe you do this, uh, it would be cool, that uh, a lot of them don't even consider the possibility of them being able to do that because... I think there's a part, there's a time in our life, in our lives, where we kind of look at ourselves and say, "All right, this is what I am. This is what I do. I can't really do or start anything else." Mm. And then they don't, and the ideas just for themselves just kind of stop. When in reality, you can absolutely write for the Reader's Digest at age uh, seventy or eighty or however old Frank is. Yeah, yeah, and that's an he, excellent point. Go ahead, Mike. He, I was just gonna say he seems very like surprised and taken almost aback. flattered yeah, yeah flat that the uh, that the idea that like oh wait i could contribute to this thing yeah oh, it could, and, uh, i don't yeah. have to live vicariously through you i can do things myself i'm still able to be um the concept in psychology is called generativity i can still ah. in my older age still find new things and learn new things and try new things and um yeah, I think that's a really good point, Alex. And I don't think it's just older people, do I think anyone can get caught in that stagnation? No, absolutely. I just, uh, in my own experience, have found that these thoughts uh, are more uh, apparent in uh, in people who are older than mm-hmm. me. And I wanted to end off that little rant by uh, by exclaiming that uh, to uh, to my father, Dad, you can write poetry. <laughs> don't that's let great. anyone stop you. I honestly would love to have, let's do a bonus episode where (laughs) (laughs) your dad reads his poetry over the sports guy bed and, (laughs) or maybe Waking Ned Divine, depending on the content of his poem. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe he actually would like to write poetry and this just isn't a bit. We'll see. (laughs) We'll find out. We'll find out. So we get a hard blackout which is rare for this show at this point. Oh, and a weird time noise. I like It's a, a like a uh, musical sting 
and then three weeks later, interstitial yeah. flashes on the screen, which uh, was like a cool. I thought it was like a cool little not a not bending the format in any huge way, but I thought it was just a cool little flick to the format. You know, I'm flicking. Cool. I'm making yeah. a flick motion. I see, I I see what you're doing. I, I got brought right back to the first time I saw Avengers Endgame with this gentleman right next to me, and I said, what? Where they said the five the five years later thing? Yes, but yeah. for three weeks later. I said, what, what happened to Raymond in those three weeks? Does everyone still love him? <laughs> what, what? <laughs> we'll never know. We will never find out. Those three weeks are lost. To t- Let's do a bonus episode <laughs> about the lost weeks of Raymond. We'll write a fan fiction. Yeah. We'll cast, of course, ourselves and uh, perform it over Waking the Divine. Um, over Waking the Divine. But yeah, three weeks later, hard smash cut to three weeks later. Deborah and Allie are in the living room watching a children's program, and then Ray comes in. Uh, and then they have a Can little. I... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, they have a little powwow about Ray makes a joke about canceling cable because of the annoying TV show. But I will say, at one point, Ray moves, and you see Robert just staring That's exactly what dead I was ahead. Say. Holy shit, what a jump scare. <laughs> the reveal oh my of Robert. God. I did not see it. I didn't notice him until Deborah pointed it out. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's such interesting staging uh, to have him just back there. And then because we follow Ray from the kitchen... We, he's covering Robert as he enters, so you don't see him until uh, you know we end up in the shot of that we eventually reveal him in. Um, Have you guys ever seen the movie Insidious? I was going to talk about Mike Myers, but let's see. Let's hear your take first. <laughs> uh, there's a there's just a one of the scariest freaking jump scares I've ever seen is in Insidious, and it's it's literally just like in the middle of a normal scene. Spoilers for Insidious, and um, the person like moves their head and just reveals like the demon just staring directly at them behind. It just reminded Ooh. me of that. Yeah, Ooh, it's that's a good little freaky scare. as all hell. I, I it from what you described, it reminded me reminded me of how in Halloween. Uh, in the early parts, you could just kind of see Mike Myers just in the background stalking. Mm. Michael Myers. Okay, I thought you were talking about <laughs> the oh, Shrek guy. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I I call him Mike Myers, and that's just a bad habit of mine. He, he would not appreciate it. Michael Myers would not be cool. No, he you never know, asks me what he's doing in his swamp. Yeah. In the early <laughs> scenes of uh, Halloween, when you see Mike Myers walking by in the background and asks Jamie Lee Curtis if he's making her horny baby. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's a great, a great jump scare. <laughs> oh my God. It is. It um. Is. Yeah, so Robert is just lingering in the background, staring at the twins in their uh, crib, and uh, Deborah points out that he is there, and uh, Robert does not think, and this is the cause of his brooding, that Michael likes him. Not uh, Michael Myers. Not Michael Myers or no, Mike no, no, Myers. Yeah, I thought it was. I I'm gonna. Go, I, I thought it was in poor taste when Michael. The twin turned to the camera and asked the audience if he makes them horny, baby. <laughs> <laughs> not, not really great. Didn't age yeah. well. It did not age very well. Uh, I, I, I thought this was a fun little B plot of it, just. It was a it was C plot. E... There was two scenes. 
Well, yeah. It was I adorable. Mean, it was, it was it a was lower, tiny. let's say it was a lowercase b plot because they really rushed rushed it. They didn't give it its due, I thought. That's very true. I, I, I guess there's just adorable. no other real plot that goes on. So that's, yeah, no, no. Yeah. But yeah. it's just, it. you know, I'm glad that they continued it from that yeah. scene, but, you know, they only gave it a little bit of time. I think yeah. we've found so far that the show, you know, like Seinfeld is like the the ultimate example of having like an A story, a B story, a C story, and a D story um, mm-hmm. that all converge at the end. Um, so far, I think we've mostly just followed Ray for each episode. We've yeah, there really, really only isn't, had an A story. Yeah, there really isn't much subtlety mm-hmm. in the show. Um, but yeah, and I think, I don't know, we've talked about Robert's idiosyncrasies before this just shows his insecurity as both an uncle and a leader and, uh, as in general yeah and so. projecting onto michael as well because yeah. obviously michael doesn't really not like him but Robert i mean he is... threw his milk at him well yeah that's well that's pretty uh let's be fair we didn't see him throw his milk what robert, if robert did yes. that for attention exactly <laughs> that's what I was just gonna say. oh my god <laughs> I Welcome know. back to film theory, everyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that is that's Robert's story for this episode. He doesn't think Michael likes him. He puts it down to cop's instinct. Uh, but then Frank and Marie come in, and uh, Frank announces that he has sold an anecdote to the humor in uniform section of the Reader's Digest. He, yeah, yeah, it's a big moment. Everyone's very, very proud of him, and especially Frank, yeah. who makes everybody <laughs> makes everybody shut up as Ray stands up and reads it uh, as as quote what what is the note that he gives louder and, and funnier. funnier? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to me that Frank try, goes so hard at this, and it also shows me that it is sweet that he cares so much about his accomplishment. Because, I mean, it, it is an accomplishment to get something published when you have no prior experience in the area. For sure. Uh, but also, like, it shows how little he has going on <laughs> in his life. Mm. That, like, this is kind of, like, one of the high... This is, like, going to be in his Christmas newsletter. Yeah. Well, and- we find it, find out at the end of the episode really how much it meant to him. He Or, yeah. actually, I think it's in not the following scene, but in, like, two scenes from now. Uh, where he tells Ray that, you know, since he retired, he has sort of felt, you know, like you were talking about, Alex, that, like, he is not able to do new things or, or try something. He wasn't feeling like he could read his poetry on a podcast that's heard by one person. Yeah. He, uh, you know, felt stagnated. And I think I found it really endearing how uh, into this Frank was. It was. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, let's let's call it like it is. Not an incredible joke. In fact, no. Oh my God, no. <laughs> I I didn't really think it was very funny at all. I think that if you tell it at a party, no, no one's gonna it, think you're Mike, interesting. Mike, come on, come on. In yeah, comparison to the normal things on in the Reader's Digest, I'd say it's it's pretty good. This it's part is, of the course. Uh, give give Frank this. This is an actual punchline it makes sense as the punchline of a joke because he introduces the the premise of the sir sandwich and then the punchline is because he said it so many times it's a sir club sandwich you know what you're right like a club sandwich which has multiple pieces of bread in it 
Whereas the story we read at the beginning, the punchline is nothing. It is just a sentence. <laughs> I don't want to go on It's words. <laughs> it's maybe a vague commentary about young people knowing what YouTube is, but this is I, a, you know, it's, it's not a, a good joke, but it fits the structure of a funny anecdote. There you go. You know what? Okay, so Ray, so Frank's got some pre- premise to him. He's got some uh, got some promise, I should say. And the Reader's Digest thought so too because they paid him three hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah, apparently it was six, six times, times better, better than the Simon Son. Than Simon Son. Yeah, exactly. Holy <laughs> shit, he's raking in the dough. Uh, and I I do love the line of like. Marie's pissed about being his quote-unquote little typist. I wrote that down, um, too. I thought that was a very cute interaction between them. Yeah, yeah. And then the uh, every time you tell, tell me, call me that, I'm going to... It's going to cost, cost you $300. 300 bucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah that I was funny. That, yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, so the next scene... So obviously Frank is very excited about this. And in He's the thrilled. next scene, Frank, Ray, and Deborah are in the kitchen, and he is uh, workshopping... Basically, a story about his son Roy. Roy. Uh, <laughs> Roymond. Roy. <laughs> everybody loves that guy. Everybody. Ev- everybody so- laves Roymond. <laughs> <laughs> every every. Yep. Uh, he is writing a story about how uh, Ray or Roy was an awkward teenager. And uh, obviously, Ray is finding this embarrassing, and he he asks starts him, to go into detail about how horned up Roy was yeah. as, a, as a young man, Which, confirming our suspicions. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. This story falls squarely into nonfiction, as far as we're concerned, because we've <laughs> yep. seen ample evidence. Um, not so much in this episode, though. I think this is our first purely unhorny episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, is that agree. true? Yeah, I guess so. Wow. Yeah. yeah. There is no mention or implication of Ray and Deborah getting it on. There's also no implication of Frank and Maureen getting getting it on. Uh oh no. Wow. Yeah. Certainly not. Isn't that interesting? I mean it right, only, uh, apparently writers get people less turned on than funerals. So, <laughs> I mean you know, no one would know that better than the writers of Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> there yeah. you go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Ray excuses himself. Well, first he asks uh, Frank not to write about him, and then he excuses himself because he has a column due in an hour that apparently he hasn't even started, yeah. uh, which, you know, poor that's time just, management. That's just bad. That's just being bad at your job. Well, is that true, or was he just trying to get away from Frank? Because that's how I read it. I thought it was like, Dad, go that, away, I got work to do. That's a charitable read on that. Uh, it's admittedly so. He but, could yeah. have been yeah. exaggerating, and maybe it was like due the next day or something like or that, or by the end of the day, or yeah. Um, I just Ray doesn't strike me as someone who knows how to work from home. That's actually a very good point. Yeah, who knows yeah. how to balance uh, work and life. But at any rate, he goes down to the basement. Um, second time in the basement office, if you're counting the use of each set. 
uh, as we go on. I was not. I was. I'm gonna be honest. I lost. We got count. a cum counter. We got a tomato <laughs> counter. We got a death counter. I did not think we needed a basement counter. We got too many counters. Yeah. yeah. Well, basement two, Nemo's two, uh, living room too many to count. Frank and Marie's two in this orientation, one in the pilot orientation. Um, bedroom. Who knows. Uh, but I, I've been keeping better track of it than I realized. I was going to say, that was a detailed list. That was all at the good. top of my head. Um, I don't have a lot going on. Uh, so Fred, uh, Ray goes down into the basement and uh, closes yep. the little, uh, what, do, what would you call that? Little sliding accordion yeah, sli- door behind That's him. That's it, accordion door, accordion um, door, yeah. And has a little moment where with deborah where they're just like wow frank's annoying as hell mm-hmm. and uh and yeah i mean yeah and it, then... it's i i think all of the raymond and, and deborah interactions in this episode are pretty like kind of just cute and non-consequential like they're just kind of being a regular husband and wife yeah i think the first time <laughs> in the series well, it's the first for an entire episode and i think that's Cool. It's the really first time the first they're... time they haven't had a conflict. I was gonna yeah. say, yeah, this is the first episode that's not marital issue centric. So, and that's that's cool. It's nice to know that they have like you know they they can take breaks uh, with their own <laughs> problems to deal with the problems that everyone else is causing them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They have stretches of good until Bernie waltz in and tries to get Ray to get in a, a little bit extra Parmesan. Yeah, exactly. Parmesan. Fuck Bernie. Anyway. um, Uh, Yes, so then Frank comes down uh, and uh, proclaims himself the everyman, the voice of the everyman, uh, to which Ray responds, can you imagine if every man was Frank Barone? Um, And then uh, Ray announces that he is going to work on his column uh, and it's going to be about the Giants, and Frank sits down right next to him and watches him uh, as he begins to write. I thought and it was... Yeah, go ahead. To seriously nitpick, which I think is like, I mean, it fits, but I thought it, it's very arrogant of, of, of Frank to be like, hey, you forgot the space there. What, what did he say, an indent, an technically? Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, I wanted to ask... Because I don't remember the name of it, which probably isn't good. But what's what's that like phenomenon where like you learn a little bit about a subject and your confidence oh, and it yeah. goes way up, and then you learn more and you start to lose your confidence and mm-hmm. then build it back up again slowly. I see that with Frank. That's definitely whatever a that's thing. called. I don't know what that's called, but yeah, you're it's definitely very, right. Very steep up and down, though. Very, very, very steep because he's there for a couple days and then plummets right back down. Oh yeah, as that's, we're about that's to like find it out. is on the graph. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, I thought yeah. it was more of a gradual curve. Okay, well, I, it's a it's an intense. Well, we only have twenty two minutes, Mike, and climb. and don't forget that we also had three weeks in between the first scene and now. It's a very fair point. It's a very um, fair point. So it it is condensed a little bit. I thought it was funny how Frank, um, before Ray starts typing and forgets the indent, how uh, he says something to the effect of, "That's the hardest part, isn't it?" The blank page. <laughs> he gets so philosophical so freaking quickly. I loved it. Uh, oh, 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 oh. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect. 
There you go. Sorry, I, I needed to make sure that I named the effect. That's Otherwise, closure. I, I, I would have felt as if I was uh, uh, succumbing to it a little bit there. We closed the loop. Look at us. Chekhov's effect. Chekhov's yeah, Chekhov. Chekhov's Chekhov. Chekhov, Chekhov's. Yep. There you go. Anyway. Anyway, so yeah, the, like you were saying, I think this is such a good game for Frank to play throughout the episode of, you know, he gets one short anecdote published and now he thinks he's an expert in writing. It's like such a clear comedic path mm-hmm. for him to follow as we go through this. Um, and then right before the end of the scene, so obviously he's really excited about writing and about him and Ray having this in common. And, uh, he proclaims that Ray got his talent from him. Uh, and then he closes with, uh, I don't know if it's a joke. It's kind of a joke. Um, Mark Twain had a son who was a writer and his name was Choo Choo Twain. And then he says, that was in the digest. Which <laughs> I, I will... tracks. Yeah, <laughs> no pun intended. It tracks. It does indeed. It's 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 a damn Reader's Digest it is, joke. It's very digest. It's extremely digest. It's extremely digest, yeah. So we cut to Marie is in the kitchen of Marie and Frank's house. And uh, she is holding... A, she is working on replacing the ribbon in Frank's typewriter. Is that what that was? I think so. Yeah. Because she has ink all over her hands, so it had to be something with the typewriter. I knew it was something with the typewriter. I just know nothing about typewriters. Have either of you ever used a typewriter? I have not. I've no. held one. They are heavy. Mm. The past was different. And that's well all we said. can say about it. Well said, Adam. <laughs> we don't know anything about typewriters. We tried to get Tom Hanks for this episode, uh, but we I went on IMDb Pro. I couldn't find any contact information for him. What the fuck? Yeah. Tom Hanks, come on the show. I tried to get Rita, too, but she was a hard no. Oh. Isn't it ironic, by the way, that her name is Rita Wilson? And Tom Hanks was in a movie where he was in love with a volleyball named Wilson. I don't think that's particularly ironic. I don't even know if that counts as a coincidence. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Marie is replacing the typewriter ribbon uh, in the kitchen. And uh, Ray comes in and tells her that Frank visited the paper that Ray works at uh, to teach the writing the staff there, the reporters, about writing, including alliteration. Which is so fucking funny <laughs> to me that he just sprints away. I I just would love the idea of like a family member coming in and just like, your problem now, boys, and bouncing. I uh, <laughs> I mean, I get it. Oh, I get it. I 100% I, get I it. I can't fault Ray. He made the smart move. He got out of there. I'm I know, very but- impressed by Ray's... Um, you know, telework schedule. This is ahead of its time for 1996. He can come and go as he pleases. It's really great. I mean, obviously he has to go on the road and stuff, but, you know, it's the beginning of the internet and Ray is uh, 30 years ahead of his time. He's probably got a Hotmail or an AOL.com. Look at him. I think uh, Deborah is the one with the hot (laughs) mail. 
Finish the joke. Yeah, there you go. Hey. There you go. All right. There you go. We got it, baby. We got it. Anyway. That's our show. Tip your waitresses, <laughs> everybody. Um, I realized when Marie, so she holds out her hands and she they're covered in ink. I realized that this is like a classic scene for me. Like when I think about everybody loves Raymond, like this was definitely when I saw this triggered like, oh, this is one of the scenes that I remember seeing that stands out for me. Is she holds out her hands and she says, "Look at these hands," and it's just it. It's really funny, eh? And it's just a vivid image to me because she sells it so much. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's a fun bit because I first of all we see Marie kind of sacrificing for Frank resentfully, but still sacrificing for Frank because she cares about cleanliness more than food, more than anything else. Um, and so I think that yeah, we just see the what we just see Marie giving things up for for Frank because she realizes that it's important to him, which I think is quite adorable. And also kind of part of me thinks like, I don't get why Frank can't type it himself. That's like... Yeah, I don't think that the way that Frank is uh, having her do this is uh, good. I think uh, he's making her do it and she's not having a, a good time with it. I guess what my question is is like, why typing on a typewriter seems fun why would you not want to do that part or like because sure don't get me it's it's disgusting it's chauvinistic but like the idea that oh the woman cooks for the man is an old-timey thing that's sexist disgusting etc but was a part of frank while when he was growing up it's a part of that culture i don't think that typing on a typewriter has the same implication. Yeah, I don't think so that I falls under. I think it's part of him uh, letting this go to his head. And, you know, uh, we see in the later scene where he's, type. like, dictating to her, uh, you know, he sort of thinks of himself as this great writer. He's got so many great ideas that he doesn't even have time to type it himself. So, of oh, course, he will have Marie do it because Marie has to do everything for him. Good yeah. thing we're not judging uh, Frank on the barometer. Yeah, I mean, if we would, I it wouldn't look good. Honestly, though, Ray is having a, a gangbusters episode. episode really. I was going to say. Best episode by far for him. We're going to get there, but I think he's in the green for this episode. I he know. does a really good job. Um. So, yeah, Frank comes in at this uh, point in the scene, and uh, he's adopted this writer look of the red turtleneck under the tweed jacket <laughs> with the sort of shapeless, it's not quite a bucket hat and it's not quite a fedora, but mm-hmm. it is it is a strong look. And honestly, if you know someone were to rock that today, I think it would be considered pretty stylish. It would be. Depending probably. on who is. Um, but yeah, so he comes in. I don't even remember the setup for this, but I wrote down, he said something about like, it was about him lecturing the writers, and um, he said, maybe it's all that internet porno. And I don't remember what the first half of that <laughs> sentence the was. First, it was. He said something to the effect of, like, they're not getting much work done. Oh, must be all yeah, the internet yeah. porn. Or they're really oh, obsessed with computers. Yeah, he didn't understand why they were all about the internet when he was ah, more of a, uh, a writing a on typist. a typewriter. Yeah, yeah. Guy. or having someone else type for a him. dictator yeah. um, in the literal sense, Ayo. which I guess that makes this episode a little bit horny because Frank thinks that all the writers at the newspaper are jerking it under their desks all day. 
Uh, so, you know, there's a little something. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? There is a sex joke. Look at that, everybody. We did it. We Look got at there. That. Um uh so yeah, he uh is going on and on about uh the digest and uh submitting to the digest and working on his next piece for the digest. And uh, Ray has the pretty funny line of, I'm going to give you $1,000 if you stop calling it the digest. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Um, and then Frank pitches uh, Ray on Frank Barone's I Was Just Thinking, uh, which he wants to be his column in Ray's newspaper. Um, yeah. And we, I, can all ag- yeah. we can all agree that this is Frank overstepping. Um, and being a little bit delusional about his own skill, obviously. Oh, a million percent. And yeah. the the fault of Ray here is minimal on how yeah, yeah, he handled yeah. it. No, absolutely not. I is there a real column in a newspaper where just a random local old guy <laughs> is uh is is just ranting and raving his thoughts? There is, is now. Thing? I think that um the genre of rants and raves was sort of a thing but i think it was usually a you know a journalist at the paper who was you know proved their worth and then got this space because they had like a unique voice or something like andy rooney sure uh i thought it was interesting that this plot would not work today because frank could just tweet all of his opinions he could oh that's a really good point write a blog like julie from julia julia he would yeah. brag about his twelve followers. Exactly. He would. By the way, actually... we're so close to double digit followers. Uh, yeah, we if, are. Are we? If, Not really. No. <laughs> Not at this point. <laughs> if mean, this listeners... were to happen today, right? If this were to happen today, I think the plot would become less of oh oh Frank's overstepping and more of holy shit Frank's gone viral <laughs> I, <laughs> with the wrong crowd <laughs> with the wrong exactly Frank Uh-oh. Frank went viral on Truth Social uh, yeah ex- <laughs> we have a problem <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> uh yeah so in the next scene Deborah and Allie are in the kitchen and Ray enters Deborah appears to be baking bread or a pie or something. But uh, Ray uh, says that he's hiding from Frank and hiding from uh, all of this, and he wants to go live with Deborah's parents in Connecticut, which sounds delightful. Uh, But he does not want to pitch Frank's column to his editor, Uh, and I think it'll become apparent as I play this clip from this scene. His column. (laughs) Yeah, he, he wants me to hand it to my editor. Oh, you're kidding. Look at this. The chirp of the cricket has been replaced by the car alarm. God only knows what will replace the car alarm. What is that? What can that possibly mean? Oh, God, he's out of control. like the smell of a freshly painted room as much as the next guy, but in the end, wallpaper is easier to clean. Hmm. Honestly... And And then Raymond just proceeds to say, all right, well, he's right about that thing. Yeah. Which I thought was funny. Honestly, digest quality, you know? Those are digest punchlines. Was it? Because there wasn't really a punchline. It's just, like like Ray said, it's like, what the hell is he trying to say? He was just thinking. It's not even like, oh, hey, how about that airline food? It's not even that. It's it's like, uh, it, it's just words. It's just words. It's not saying anything. Yeah, it's um vaguely... 
I don't even know if you would call them thought-provoking uh, sentences. I don't know, guys. What do you think will replace the car alarm? Probably all those phones that the kids are all about these days. Am I right? I would answer, but I don't want to end up on YouTube. Hey, yo. <laughs> oh, that was a good answer, Mike. Good, good callback. <laughs> it made me laugh. <laughs> no, I was being genuine. It's hard to tell when I compliment Mike because I make it sound... Uh, uh, facetious at all times. Facetious, just, just so I that, don't get a big head. Yeah, that's like just just who I am. Yeah. Frank really could have used you, I think, in this episode. Um, but Deborah suggests that Ray get around his uh, reticence about showing Frank's column to his editor by taking Frank's name off of the uh, off of the stuff to get some honest feedback and. Um, that way, the editor won't know that it's Ray's dad. Um, and then Ray obviously thinks this is a fine idea and uh, asks Ray to tell, asks Deborah to tell him about the parents who live all the way in Connecticut. And uh, there's a little callback to Frank's directions from the uh, earlier scene when Ray is louder reading. and funnier, <laughs> louder and funnier, <laughs> which I thought was nice. And then in the next scene. We get a little taste of that lowercase b story uh, when uh, Robert comes over. <laughs> That's right, the final resolution. Yeah, Robert comes over, uh, and Deborah is uh, has invited him to try to help him mend fences with Michael. Um, I thought Robert, you know, in uh, which one was it? I love you. I think they really played up that sort of like gentle giant thing for Robert, um, and I thought that was you know, continued very nicely in this scene. It was actually kind of adorable. Um, it was a very cute scene. And then, the uh, what, yeah, go The ahead. one thing that came to my mind is in our first episode, you talked about how Robert was supposed to be originally Danny DeVito because it's supposed to be like, you know, a small guy, but it worked because Brad Garrett, even though he's massive, plays it very small. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had that thought watching the scene of just like, He's a giant, and yet he's the smallest person in the room. It's so, yeah, yeah. it's totally. an adorable moment. That's yeah. a great point, Mike. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. And then uh, Ray comes in and uh, says, uh, oh, you're reading to, or um, Robert says, uh, look, I'm bonding with Michael. And uh, Ray says, Michael, that's a joke. And then Deborah cuts him off. I thought, uh, you know, really solid little joke that, Deborah switched Jeffrey and Michael to and, make um, Robert feel better. And also, what so first of all, the implication that Michael hates hates Robert is just straight up confirmed. And that Deborah that believes that as well. <laughs> yeah, she's okay with it. But like, I, I I did think it was sweet of Deborah to do what she did. But I thought it was very very funny to be like, no, we gotta know this, this is kid's a problem. Got it out. This kid's got it out for Robert. Robert just can't know about it. We got to keep an eye on Michael when he's around Robert from now on. Yeah. yeah. See if he, you know, puts an extra step of distance in between them. Um, but then Ray uh, goes to answer the phone, and it is his editor giving some honest feedback about Frank's column. Uh, he is Jesus. not a fan. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah. Uh, and Ray's like kind of smiling throughout the whole thing because he thinks this is going to be the end of it. Mm -hmm. But like, it does not sound like he minced words no. at all. Yeah. He says, uh, did a vein pop or was that call waiting? Yeah. Uh, 
which uh, yeah. uh, if a vein popped, very serious problem, by the way. You should seek medical attention immediately if your veins pop after reading I Was Just Thinking by Frank Barone. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I wish they showed us what the editor actually said because hateful reviews of things are some of my favorite kind of mediums. <laughs> one, like, one you article. You heard it that- here, listener. Uh, send us some hateful <laughs> reviews. Mike loves them. Don't worry, we don't have to ask. So hard. <laughs> uh, like one of my favorite food critic, one of my favorite articles written of all time is a food critic reviewing the uh, reviewing chick fast food chicken nuggets. And my favorite sentence ever written is: "While no food, while there is no flawless food, the chicken nugget is a creation that is aggressively imperfect." And I just, I don't know, just the way. <laughs> That's pure poetry, and I wanted to hear that about. I was just thinking by Frank. It's beautiful. I I appreciate that, Mike, but I I will also you know bring to attention that just from a storytelling perspective, uh, the the exact words used by the writer were not crucial to moving the plot forward. No, but they would have been funny. That's all I'm saying. I think also from a technical perspective, uh for the production we've seen previously they do not have the technology to show us the other side of a phone call um <laughs> speakerphone is beyond their comprehension as you remember from the tommy lasorda quote-unquote <laughs> guest appearance yeah <laughs> um that is true it just hadn't been invented yet folks um but yes so ray's editor is not a fan uh which is a relief to ray uh, so he goes over to break the news. Uh, Marie is typing as Frank is dictating in the kitchen. And Marie gets fed up. And she says, I'm going to go lie down, uh, uh, leaving the room. I'm going to go lie down under the car, which is bleak and very funny, I thought. <laughs> That's a good line. And I agree, yeah. Uh, but then Ray breaks the news to Frank. And... Um, Frank is obviously disappointed in this, and um, but Ray keeps pushing, you know, you still have the digest, you can write to the digest, the digest, mm-hmm. the digest. And Ray tries to hide it so much, mm-hmm. like bury the lead of like comforting Frank before it the before the hammer comes Which down. Which I thought was very sweet. He he kinda nails this interaction as best as he possibly can, you know. I think he I think he does it. Yeah, I think he does a good job. I think his motives were just. I think he genuinely wanted to spare his father, like, the pain of realizing that his work was uh, not particularly strong. And the only real reason he wanted to do it was just to make sure that uh, he didn't lose his confidence and kept trying. Yeah, I thought Ray, you know, it's a sharp contrast, I think, from the way that Ray handles the confrontation in the pilot about Deborah's birthday to this uh, sort of, it's not quite a confrontation, but he's having to break some unfortunate news to one of his parents. I think he does it really carefully and considerately here. Um, But in pushing Frank to keep submitting to the digest, Frank reveals that he got rejected from the digest as well. I thought Peter Boyle's acting in this scene was surprisingly nuanced for a sitcom. I thought it was really, I like how vulnerably he played Frank. Yeah. Which is, mm-hmm. a, you know, a challenge to play that other side of Frank that we haven't even seen up till this point of, you know, vulnerable and sensitive and hurt feelings and 
not the angry curmudgeon, but, you know, really just somebody who put themselves out there and tried something and was not successful. So I thought it's it was really good It's hard to be vulnerable, acting. yeah, especially when you're so vocal about how much you hate everything. Yeah. Well, I think that's a defense mechanism, as we sort of learn from this scene, is that Frank yeah. is just, you know, he's trying his best. But instead uh, of deciding to keep trying, uh, as Ray suggests, uh, Frank decides to share his opinions with his family instead and starts yeah. reading from uh, his, uh, I was just thinking, uh, column. Um, but Ray excuses himself, and then at the door, and this almost, look, I'll be honest, this almost got me. Frank asks Ray, what did you think of my piece? And Ray takes a beat, and then he says, I thought it was great, Dad. It, it choked me up. It choked it was me up just moment. a little bit. It, it was definitely the, I think, just the sweetest interaction in the show so far. So far, yeah. I thought That's it was very, really nice. Very cute. Very, I agree. very good it moment. Was, it was very sweet. Uh, I will say, very sweet moment. Mm-hmm. Do deeply, deeply love the implication that Frank feels like he's been holding back this whole <laughs> show. I, I fucking love that. Like, he hasn't been sharing his opinions up until this point. He's been close to the vest. He hasn't let anybody know a damn thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just a great scene. Um, yeah. And then we go to our hot clothes. That's the opposite I of the cold this. open. The hot clothes was the funniest hot clothes we've had so far. I agree. I fucking love it. I yeah. love how it kills with them. So it, it's a smash cut. Tokyo, Japan, and some people are in a waiting room reading the Reader's Digest and talking about it in Japanese. And then uh, the punchline for us, the viewer, is uh, the one English word that the woman says is Roy. So clearly they're <laughs> reading one of Frank's pieces. And, and, and it, they're just it dying kills laughing. Them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, Which was such great. a funny choice. I just, yeah, I fucking loved it. Oh, my God. So I was good. a little nervous when I saw the Tokyo, Japan uh, Same. lower third. Same. <laughs> Even in 96, it is dicey when American media tries to really, you know, uh, especially a show that, you know, is for the most part an all-white cast, you know, mm -hmm. from a white showrunner and a, the mind of a white comedian tries to... uh you know, right for any non-white context. Uh, yeah. But they didn't do anything racist, so we got to no, give no. it up. They, they did everything fine. They wrote a good joke and offended nobody. Well, yes. that, that is that is assuming they used good J Japanese, you know. Yeah. Well, that is fair. We have, we have no we way know. to argue one way or I mean, another. So, yeah, I, yeah, I don't speak Japanese, and yeah, I'm not sure. It wasn't but, uh, obviously racist to us, but if we are missing something. Honestly, point it out to us because that is a good learning opportunity for us as we move forward. Again, well said, in this show that is an all-white cast uh, <laughs> with an all-white showrunner being commented on, by the way, by three white men. So please, yeah. we are here to learn not just about Raymond, but about everything else. Let Raymond <laughs> teach us about the world. But it's just going to be the lens that we see. Will you show me the ray? 
Uh, that's our show everybody thank you so much (laughs) anyway all right so last thing barometer for this episode this is as a reminder every episode we rate ray as a husband son and father basically as an all-around human being on a scale of one to ten ten being the great sitcom dads of all time uncle phil danny tanner one being men from television who actively harm their families. That's Don Draper. That's Walter White. Honestly, for me, I'm going to give him a nine. I wow. was going to say the same thing. I'm, gonna, I'm also going to piggyback on because that. I'm going to give him a nine. The only Go reason it's not a 10 is because he clearly takes his relief at the editor telling him that Frank's writing is bad. Uh... I would have. I think it would have been a more sympathetic. I mean, obviously he's relieved because he doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to put up with Frank's arrogance about being a great writer anymore. I think it would have been more sympathetic if Ray had been disappointed for Frank. So that's the difference from a nine and a ten for me. So I'm, I'm at a nine. This is his. Honestly, this is a great, sensitive caring supportive ray he has a great relationship with deborah in this episode he's on marie's side for once and he's kind and supportive to frank and even to robert so honestly big ups to ray yeah i agree big ups to ray i don't know if it's fair to criticize his reaction to uh to the digest to Um, the newspaper because i think it's also a matter of like let's be real it was not a good oh, column. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if he if he actually got through, Frank was going to get mocked by the Lodge, by his buddies. And I think that it's and it's also a matter of, like, no one really wants to work with their dad. So, like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no offense, Dad, if you're listening. I love you, but, like, come on. <laughs> uh, so I, I think it comes – so I don't know if that's a fair criticism. But at the same time, I just – I don't – like, a 10 is, like – I don't know. I, I, I don't think that a, a 10 is really, really unachievable. He has to really blow me away for that to happen. And he did a damn good job this time. I'm definitely agreeing with the nine, but I'm not. Uh, I can't I can't justify a 10 yet. Yeah, I'm not but, saying yeah. it would be the best plot choice. I'm just saying that that is a more sympathetic thing for a person to react to in that way. Sure, sure. Uh, sure. But yeah, I think you're right for sure. Yeah. Alex, where do you come in today? This is interesting. So I'm surprised you both went with the nine uh, because kind of my mindset was not that high. So the way I have been grading Ray has been I've been really hesitant on myself to go too far down or too high up. Mm -hmm. And the further like we go in either direction, like the more extreme Ray has to get in his uh in his actions one way or the other that's a good point. and i personally this episode i don't think ray was nine worthy in my opinion because i think he showed all the promise of a regular morally like you know conscious human being to where me that is a five and then the his actions throughout the rest of the show the the few like really nice moments he had where he was like really great with uh Deborah, he didn't, you know, ruin Robert's big moment and of course that big thing with Frank. I feel comfortable 
awarding Raymond a seven this episode. Okay. All right. That makes sense. I think that's a good point about us not wanting to bust the scale so quickly. Um, But I think that's why it's good that we take the average because I think, oh, gosh, the math is... What you want me to you want me to tell you? Or yeah, you tell me. Do it on your I own? don't want to do it. It's an eight point three. An eight point three. Uh, he's rounding out to an eight point three this episode, okay, which good. I think is a I think that's a fair fair it's judgment. The yeah. best race done by far. By yeah. far. I this think we may have this... been so relieved that he was not a scumbag. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that the bar has unintentionally been lowered. I think that might be the case too. Right. Right. Um, this is the second week in a row that Ray has been above the five mark. Good for him. Yeah, he's killing it. It's a new it. record. Yeah. Go Raymond. Um, but yeah, I was, I was just going to say it's good that since we take the average, if one or two of us go too far in one direction, the other can pull them back. Um, but I think 8.3 really is a good number for Ray this episode. With that... There's only one last thing to... Actually, two last things to do. Michael? Yes? Your fate on the podcast still remains in the balance. I'm going to... Hey, this is still on you, even though you won Judge Deborah. I was crushing it until about the last five seconds of the closing statement. Yeah, you really... Well, (laughs) see, what happened was you misspoke, and I immediately... uh, Pounced on it, <laughs> stomped on me, yeah, and stomped. And made, yeah. I I curb stomped you for saying raw sugar. <laughs> you sure did. Um, but because you uh gave the same barometer score as me, <laughs> just I, desperately <laughs> grabbing to some contribution. No, no, that no, gave no, no. This episode. Okay, here's a challenge. I want you to. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you. The first part of a Reader's Digest anecdote. Oh, and if I get the punchline? No, I want you to give a punchline for it. And then if you tell a better punchline than the punchline that the author wrote, I will allow you to stay on the podcast. Ooh, Mike's playing T-ball. Oh, shit. This is big. Okay. All right. All right. Um... Okay, a highway patrolman pulled alongside a speeding car on the highway. Looking at the car, he was astounded to see that the elderly woman behind the wheel was knitting. The trooper cranked down his window and yelled to the driver, pull over. No, the woman yelled back. It's a scarf? The answer was cardigan. What they put was cardigan, the punchline. I'm going to say scarf is better. Michael, I am allowing you to remain on the podcast. And on that note, there's only one last thing to say. (laughs) If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen and uh, send us a Judge Deborah hot take to one of our social accounts at Barone Zone or at Raymond at postfun.info. Beyond that, our classic sign-off is the only thing that remains. Everybody loves Raymond. And we love you. Thanks for listening, everybody. See ya. 